Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. Well, we have been studying the book of John for the past few months, and uh, it's been a wonderful journey. Uh, This morning, we will read some verses from chapter 7, because this is where we've come to. Uh, Chapter 7 of John, starting from verse 25, just 10 verses, just 10 verses, so... Uh, I'd like you to join in with me uh, to read the verses out, starting from verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Verse 26. And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Verse 28. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Thank you for joining me in the reading of this passage. I I have titled this morning's uh, message, Unbelief or Faith, Does It Matter? Unbelief or Faith, Does It Matter? Jewish men uh, through the centuries have been required to turn up in Jerusalem three times a year, at Passover, at Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is the, the occasion of the Feast of Tabernacles that's uh, mentioned in John chapter 7. Six months previous to this was the um, Feast of Passover, where Jesus fed 5,000 men, you remember, that's in John chapter 6. At this particular year's Feast of Tabernacles, John chapter 7, it was a little bit different. 
the subject matter that everyone was talking about was Jesus. His name was on everyone's lips. Um, is he a crook? Is he a, an imposter? Or is he the genuine Messiah? Uh, so people were just bouncing these ideas off. Some people said, he's a con man. He's a charlatan. He's power hungry, attention seeking. But others say, look, look at his life. Look at the miracles he did. He must be the Messiah. And some others said, I don't care. Whoever he is, who cares? So it was like a, a busy marketplace, people shouting back and forth. Some people were, were debating quite in a civil manner. Look, is he really the Christ? Tell me, let me know. Others were shoving and pushing. They were, they were in robust sort of a argument. This cannot be the Messiah. Oh, he is indeed a Messiah. Friendships were strained. Families were divided. All because of that name, Jesus. It was obvious that two contrasting moods or emotions were running high in Jerusalem that day. On the one hand, we've got the reaction of unbelief. In other words, the reaction of contempt towards Jesus. That's on one hand. On the other hand, we've got the response of faith, believing in Him. I want to explore three things this morning from this passage of 10 verses. Number one, I want to talk about the reaction of unbelief. Then we want to explore the response of faith. And thirdly, let's ask this question. Does it matter which path I choose? The reaction of unbelief, number one. Segments of the crowd were reacting. They, it was a reaction against the person of Jesus. Now, unbelief is merely the expression on the outside of that contempt on the inside. There was direct contempt by certain segments of that crowd. Look at John 7.25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? Is not this the man that they were seeking to kill, murder? That's direct contempt. We hate him. It was not merely a disdain or loathing. It was deep hatred. I want his head off. Why did the religious rulers hate Jesus so much? Well, jealousy. That's the first thing. I mean, people were, Jesus was attracting all the attention. People loved him. Because why? He loved them. The, the, the Jewish leaders, they, they laid heavy burdens on the people by their rules and regulations. These are the 613 rules you must follow if you are to be a good Jew. Yeah, 613. 
it's not a made-up figure. It's true. Meanwhile, uh, and, on, and on and on they went. Uh, tax collectors and sinners and adulterers. Thank God I'm not like them. That, that's, that's the tone of the religious rulers of that day. But Jesus, on the other hand, welcomed such ones, despised by and considered outcasts of society. Jesus welcomed them. Jesus accepted them and pointed to them the way of salvation and said, go sin no more. I forgive you. So the religious rulers couldn't stand Jesus because he was attracting all the attention of the, of the population. Then there's another thing. They, the religious rulers uh, were dead against Jesus because Jesus posed a risk to their status. For hundreds of years, Judea had been uh, occupied by foreign armies and rulers. And time and time again, some zealot, some group would come up uh, to, to rise up against the occupying force. What the rulers of Jerusalem and Judea were concerned about is this. Here is Jesus attracting a large crowd, following him. Um, what will happen if some zealots and resistance fighters under him uh, march against the Roman rulers? And what will happen then? Rome... Rome's wrath would come upon us, and we would lose our status. That's, that's the end game. We will lose our status as religious rulers over Judea. So because of that, they said, get rid of him. Kill him. I'm not making this up. Look at John 11:48. I know we're jumping a few chapters ahead, but look at John 11:48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans, the Romans will come and take away both our place, our status, and our nation. So they were, after, they were looking after their own interests. That's why. Direct contempt. Open, overt contempt towards Jesus. Look, not everyone wanted him dead. Not everyone. Because there is another group of people, they had disguised contempt towards him. This is more respectable sort of a contempt. But let, let's look at John 7, 26. And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. It's, it's almost like they were saying, our rulers were saying, kill him. But here he is, speaking Boldly, loudly. In fact, the, the original sense of this word is he is yelling at the top of his voice, teaching Jesus. Yelling at the top of his voice, teaching the people. And they say nothing. They lay no finger on him. What's going on here? That, that's all the, the to and froing in that marketplace that day. 
But we know this is not the man. We know his upbringing. So they, they were saying, on the one hand, the authorities say kill him. This is an imposter. On the other hand, no one touches him. Oh, this is too hard. This is simply too hard for me to understand. And by the way, we know where this man comes from. He cannot be the Messiah. Indifference set in. Too hard. Why bother? Apathy. Who cares if he is or not? Just too hard. Straining my mind. Contempt, the dictionary defines uh, this as being showing someone is not worthy of due consideration. That's contempt. Showing that someone can be just brushed off, of no value, beneath my consideration. That's contempt. You know, if the Jews then had an open mind, they would have searched deeper because they were saying, we know his parents, peasants, peasants from Nazareth. His brothers and sisters are here with us. We know them just running, running wild on the streets. We know their upbringing. They are nobodies. This can't be, this can't be the Messianic family. No way. We know them. But had they searched deeper, they would have known that Jesus, though raised in Nazareth as a boy, he was born in Bethlehem. He was born there. Uh, there were, you, you could go to the synagogue in Bethlehem and check the birth records, and you would have found Jesus born from the, tri from the, the line of David, uh -huh, the royal line, uh, from the tribe of Judah. De therefore, Hey, this is the Messiah. But nobody searched deeper than that. It's just hearsay. We know peasants. We know Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth? There were two schools of thought in those days. One is the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. But not all Jews believed that. There was another school of thought. When the Messiah comes, and this is, this is a flawed teaching, uh, in Judaism, a flawed teaching that when Messiah comes, he will come out of obscurity suddenly, and he'll appear in the temple suddenly. We know this guy. He's been with us for years. We know his upbringing. We know his origins. This cannot be the Messiah. And so, contempt. They showed contempt. Today, most people aren't jealous of Jesus. Most people, even if they are anti-Christ, anti-Jesus, they are not jealous of him, like the early people of Jerusalem. But they are just as indifferent. They're just as apathetic. They say, look, this is too hard. So many things about Jesus. Too hard. I'll stay neutral. I'm neither overtly against him, but I'm not wholeheartedly loving him. You know, the opposite of love and loyalty is an overt opposition. It's indifference. It's indifference. And so they said, 
I'll stay undecided, okay, neutral. Okay, you can be there. I'll stay neutral, on the fence, non-committal. I'll just be, I'll be fine either way. Matthew 12.30 tells us this. Matthew 12.30, whoever, this is Jesus speaking, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, how can we stay on the fence? Our main business in life is to really determine if Jesus Christ really lived and died and rose again for my sin and whether or not I am following him wholeheartedly. That's the main and only business of my life and your life. We cannot afford to stay neutral. We cannot afford to stay uncommitted, hoping we'll stay safe, whatever the outcome, whichever way it turns out. Then, so we've got two emotions running high in Jerusalem that day. The reaction of unbelief. Then we've got also another emotion, another mood, the response of faith. And so we're going to go to the response of faith now. When John wrote the gospel that he wrote, he was really saying the sensible thing for all of us to do is to believe him. Believe. That's the object of his writing that gospel. How do we respond? What do we respond to? What do we respond to in in believing in Jesus? We respond to his claims. It's important. John 7, 28. John 7, 28 and 29. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. Fancy saying that to the religious know-alls in Jerusalem. Him you do not know. Verse 29, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. This is an important phrase in verse 29. This claim of Jesus is a claim to divinity. He's claiming, I am God. Verse 29 says this, I know him, for I come from him. I come from him really should be read. I come from being with him. That's what it means. I come from being with God. In other words, I am with God from the beginning. I am God. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. They, they knew it. They, they sought to stone Jesus because he claimed the Father and I are equal. I and the Father are one. So they sought to stone him. The Apostle John, all the rest of the apostles, they knew Jesus was divine, God, one with God the Father. They heard directly from him. They fellowshiped with him. They paid notice to him. They knew. This is John. Six months before this occasion, 
was the feast of Passover, where Jesus fed the 6,000, after which Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Eight times in the Gospel of John, he uses this term, I am, which is a term reserved for God to use. I am. It's a divine term. Before Abraham was, I am. Earlier on in his ministry, a lame man uh, was brought before Jesus. You remember that story? Story Through the roof. They, they cut a hole through the roof and lowered the man down. And, uh, and Jesus said to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Before he healed him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And the Pharisees were aghast. How can you say that? See, only God can forgive sins. Because our sin, who, who is the offended party in regards to our sin? God. Years and years ago, our house was broken into. We reached home, and the door was ajar. In all our cupboards, the drawers were upturned, and everything was thrown on, on the floor. Uh, they found nothing, of course, of precious value in our home. They picked the wrong home. But supposing, supposing they caught the crook, the, the cops came, anyway, the cops came that day and, and asked, would you want to, to lodge an insurance claim and so on? They, they broke a briefcase of mine, and I said, look, it's an old briefcase. Forget it. Yeah. Anyway, suppose the, crop, the cops brought the crook in. And supposing at that point, Paul comes visiting, just because you're sitting in front of me, Paul. Paul comes visiting, and Paul runs up to the crook. I forgive you. I forgive you for doing that to my friend. It has little value. I mean, all, all respects to Paul, okay? I'll explain this. It has little value because for forgiveness to be meaningful, it has to be offered by the offended party. It has to come from either me or Becky. It has to come from the offended party. Here Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Wow, forgiveness has to come from the offended party. The offended party is God. Jesus says, I am God. I am the offended party. I forgive your sins. And in the next thing he did, he healed him. And the Pharisees got madder and madder at him. But you see, we respond to his claims. This is God in the flesh. He is not just a good man, not just a decent man, not just an exemplary man of character. He is all of that, plus he is God in the flesh. And he'll always be God in the flesh. And so the next thing we need to do is we need to respond to his miracles. So this is John seven thirty one. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? 
will, will he do more signs? Now, this question is almost like a rhetorical question. It invites and, and it expects a no answer. No, no one will do more than him. That, that's, what it's, that's how it's been constructed, this sentence. Will he do more signs than this man has done? No. No one will do more miracles than this man. Even the Pharisees accepted that. Even the, No Pharisee or religious ruler in Jerusalem ever debated. No, that's not a miracle. No one. They all accepted. They all accepted the, 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 the quality of his miracles and the, the quantity of his miracles. All they had issue with is this guy heals on the Sabbath. He's a lawbreaker. That's all they have to say. So, they ridiculed him because he broke the Sabbath law. John 10, I know we're jumping a few chapters ahead, but Jesus said this at least twice. He said, the works, the miracles, the signs that I do, they bear witness that I am the Christ. That I, these works, they are special. They bear witness, I am the Christ. Then we need to respond to his character. There's something about Jesus behind this statement. Will he do more signs than this man has done? This is a fantastic sentence. Question. Fantastic. Because beneath that, it speaks about the quality of Jesus, uh, uh, the, his character. He not only brought miracles, he brought dignity and beauty, grace and kindness. He didn't perform his miracles with arrogance, with attention-seeking behavior. It was all kindness and grace overflowing, grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. Mark 7, 37. This, this is another important. Around the time of this Feast of Tabernacles, Mark records it in this manner. Mark 7, 37. And they, the people, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He has done all things well. It's not just the, the power of that miracle. It's, it's how he did it. You know, the Greek, well, that word translated well in the original Greek, it, it really means this. It's done accompanied by the lovely character traits of a winsome person. Wow. You know, if you're sick, it's not just bang, bang, you are healed, but that tender, that tender love and grace and dignity shown to you. That's Jesus. Examine his character and look at his winsomeness. And it only invites one answer. It makes sense to believe in him. It makes sense to respond to him by believing we need to ask this next question. Does it matter, therefore, which path I take? Should I take the reaction of unbelief or the response of faith? 
Does it matter? Well, well, it does matter, and hear me out. But before that, we need to ask this question. What does believing mean? What does believing mean? We hear a lot. Believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. Believe him, you'll be saved. What does believe mean? I means I like John 3.36. I, I love this. Somebody told me this years and years and years. As a teenager, I heard this, and it never, it has been locked up here ever since. Whoever believes in the Son, note the words, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Okay, we'll stop there. I would have expected to read it this way. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not believe, fair enough. I mean, you've made your point. If you believe, you have eternal life. If you don't believe, you won't have eternal life. But John says this, and this, this comes from the English Standard Version, which is the most accurate so far as this verse is concerned to the original intent of the uh, writer of John's Gospel. And John says, whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, he changes tone now to obey. In other words, believe and obey are used interchangeably. In other words, what does it mean to believe? It means putting myself under the authority of Christ to obey Him as Lord and Savior. It's not simply a mental agreement, uh, a mental assent, a mental agreement. Yes, he, yes, there's no other God but Jesus. And then you choose to live your life unchanged. That is not believing. Uh, it doesn't matter if you believe there are three in... Our Godhead is a three in one. You're, you're superbly accurate in your theology. But if you say, Lord, I do not want to change my life. Stop meddling with my affairs. That's not believing. Because to believe means to obey. So we're going to set that as the first um, to help us in our understanding. So does it matter whether we choose unbelief or belief? Unbelief or faith? If you take the path of unbelief, that is the wide path. You are with the crowd. You are with the bulk of earth's population. Most people travel on that path. It is a wide path, but it is a path that displeases the Lord because it is the path of unbelief. Unbelief displeases the Lord because unbelief makes God a liar. You're a liar, God. That's what it means. It is a sin, and it is the deadliest sin, unpardonable sin of sinning against the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit keeps coaxing you, encouraging you, come on, and you say, no, no way, unbelief. That is an unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit. You, if you remain in your unbelief, you will spend eternity suffering separation from God. Now, we hear that a lot, separation from God. What does it really mean? Separation from God means this. You will be regretting 
and regretting perpetually, but there will be no forgiveness. Not one little drop of forgiveness offered to you. You will be seeking comfort and protection. You will experience none of that. You will experience none of the grace of God, none of the kindness of God, none of the love of God. That's separation from God. John 7, 33 and 34. These are two verses near the end of what we read this morning. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. Verse 34, you will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. That's the destination of unbelief. Where I am, you cannot come. That seals the doom of all those who say to Jesus, I'll do the respectable thing, I'll stay neutral. I don't need to commit myself. You know, Jesus in these two verses here, he was predicting his own death and resurrection. He says, I'll be leaving you and I'll be going back to the one who sent me and where I'm going, you cannot come. He's predicting his soon, in six months' time, he'll be crucified and he'll be resurrected. He'll go back to the Father. And where you will seek me, you will not find me. Some 40 years later, in the year AD 70, Jerusalem was besieged by the Romans because there arose yet another group of zealots uh, seeking to overthrow uh, the yoke of Rome. And uh, after besieging them for years, finally Titus, the commander, the Roman commander, broke through the wall and slaughtered Jerusalem. Blood was flowing through the sewers and streets and everywhere. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, said this in his Jewish war history. He said, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was due to the folly of the people of Jerusalem because God had shown them signs pointing the way to salvation. But they had treated these signs with contempt. It's an interesting thing. And no doubt, many of these facing the slaughter, they would have cried out, Savior, send the Messiah, send the Messiah now, save us, God, save us, as they would, as anyone would in their hour of desperation. And Jesus said, you will seek me, you will not find me. How very true. A few years later, I think it was AD 73 or 74, and Masada, that's another site. The same thing happened. They would have cried out, send the Messiah, send the Messiah. But these words were ringing through. True, again, you will seek me, you will not find me. And Unbelief will take us to a place where we will seek God and relief 
and comfort and love, and we will not find it. That's why it matters. Does it matter? Over and over again, we find this truth in the Bible. You will seek me, you will not find me. In Genesis 6, verse 3, it says, My spirit will, will not strive with man forever and ever. God says there's a time limit. There's a, there's a limit to my long-suffering patience. I'll not strive with men forever and ever. And Isaiah 55, 6 encourages us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Don't, don't wait until the door is closed. Does it matter? Of course it does. If you take the path of believing in Jesus, does it matter? Yes, it matters. You will have salvation. That means everlasting comfort, everlasting grace, forgiveness and forgetfulness. All of our sin will be buried under the sea of forgetfulness. Over and over, this phrase is repeated. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Always it's, it's used. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You will enjoy security. You become a child of God. But let's look at the last verse we are meant to look at in this passage. John 7, verse 30. So, they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him. Because his hour had not yet come. You see, it was so easy to just grab hold of Jesus that day. So easy. And yet nothing happened. Not a finger was laid on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. His time wasn't up yet. How comforting. Jesus was kept by God the Father from any harm until, until God's plan needed to be fulfilled. And for you and I, the same thing would happen. Our days, our days are counted in God's book. And, and we, will, we will live out our full days. There, there is nothing for us to be worried about in this life. We're not talking about the, the comfort and the joy and the love in, in, the, in eternity. We're talking about in this life itself, there will be complete preservation, complete security. No one will lay a hand on me, on you, on any one of us, because our full hour has not been consumed, has not been spent. That's how, does it matter? Over and over again, yes, it does matter. This truth is repeated. No one laid a hand on him. His time has not yet come. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Over and over again, fear not, I am with you. Over and over, the hand of the Lord was on him. The hand of the Lord was on me. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Therefore, two prevailing moods and emotions on that day in Jerusalem. Fierce opposition of unbelief. Contemptuous. And then on this other hand, there is that sensible response of believing and faith. It matters which path we take. This Jesus 
who not only saves us, but saves us in such a well manner, such a good man. How, how nonsensical to not run to him. Him, this person who loves us the most of anyone else on earth. Don't care if you've got boyfriend, girlfriend, husband and wife of the highest quality in your marriage. But there is no one, Ango, there is no one who would love you and me more than this person who performs his miracles so well. He loves us like nobody else does. So the only sensible thing for us to do, believe him. And believing doesn't simply mean, yes, I believe, but Lord, don't come in the way of my living my life, my way. But it means believing means obeying him. It doesn't mean sinless perfection. It means the general overall trend and movement and, 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 and tenor of our life is one of, I'm obeying God. I'm, yeah, I might fall back, but I'm, I'm obeying. It's my intention. Shall I pray for all of us? And I want to speak to some of us. If you do not, have not accepted Jesus as your Savior to obey him, I urge you, I'm not calling you forward, I'm urging you, because eternity, where there is no recourse, that door of doom is sealed. It is far too high a price to pay. You cannot afford to defer, to postpone. Take him. It is the most sensible thing to do. Take Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If you are listening online, I urge you, I urge you, search your own heart and say, yes, I determine to let go of my unbelief and to believe in you. I want to pray for us this morning. Lord, I thank you for your word from John 7, that you are indeed our Messiah our Savior. We need not look anywhere else. Help us, Lord, in believing to obey you, to realize that you are such a lovely, lovable, such a gracious, kind, wonderful Savior. And so we, trust our, we entrust ourselves into your hands. Lord, stir us up to love you more, to love you more, day by day. We thank you. And for those who do not know you, there's a struggle in their hearts. Lord, I pray, even as they hear these words from your book, that they will surrender their lives to you, choosing to live a life of obedience to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.